Hello and welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of the Mohican people, who are known today as the Stockbridge Muncie community. I'm Vinny Damopolito. And I'm Lavender. Today on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, we begin with a report from Mark Dunley on the Clean Air Coalition of Greater Ravina Queenman. Then we hear about a roundtable discussion entitled The Struggle Continues, held by our own Willie Terry. Later on, youth correspondent Nikolai Nagel-Drebby reports on a peanut butter pop-up in Saratoga on November 18th. After that, uh, you're blocking me. We hear what it's like to be a DJ in the Hudson Valley from JB, a.k.a. Dirty Moses. Finally, Lisa Schoenberg takes us on uh, along to listen to her compositions recorded in nature and hear reactions from guests on their first listen. But first, here are the headlines. The former treasurer of the city's Polish-American Citizens Club pleaded guilty to stealing over a million dollars in club funds over four years. The state inspector general found that the state's prison agency from 2016 onwards used unreliable contraband screening tests that produced false positive results for drugs that led to dis disciplinary sanctions for over 2,000 inmates, over 70% of which were wrong and later reversed. The inspector general dismissed claims by, the, by correction officials that the instructions for the tests were confusing, instead finding that prison staff often just ignored the instructions. 25 people were arrested on Wednesday for involvement in a drug ring that the Attorney General alleges used Troy Restaurant El Coque as a major distribution point. Barrel Life, a store that dispenses medical marijuana at the Stoyvesant Plaza Complex, has won approval from the town to sell recreational cannabis products at that location. School districts can now tap into $100 million for electric buses. The funding comes from the $4 billion Environmental Bond Act, and an additional $400 million will be available later. Albany City Councilman Awusu Anain is proposing a public contest to develop a new official flag to the city to replace one that includes an image of a Native American. He said Albany needs a modern flag that reflects the city's diverse communities. The Gazette reports that two more local school districts will be providing students with free meals for the remainder of the academic year beginning Friday. The Scalmont and Scotia Glenville school districts announced that all students are eligible for free meals beginning December 1st following changes in a federal policy that expanded eligibility requirements by lowering the threshold to qualify for free meals. After 103 years, the board of the College of St. Rose has voted to close its doors at the end of the academic year. And that's it for headlines. For those of you just tuning in, uh, you're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, listener-supported radio that builds community in Troy and the surrounding capital region through broad grassroots participation. Our content is produced by volunteers. To learn how you can contribute, go to mediasanctuary.org, email us at hmm at mediasanctuary.org, or call 518 272 
1-800-242-2390. Up first, the town of Queemans has been in the news for the last uh, few years over issues related to importing waste to burn at the local cement plant and the control uh, exercised by Carver Companies, which owns the port of Queemans. <laughs> George McHugh, the former attorney for Carver, was narrowly defeated in his re-election bid for town supervisor, along with other GOP bo town board members. We're talking with Barbara Heidenson, who is a member of the Clean Air Coalition of Greater Ravina uh, Queemans. Uh, we've talked to Barbara's and others from the group over the uh, over the years, I guess, about some of the ongoing struggles with the Carver companies and local cement plant and the Port of Queemans. But there were some, I guess, a little bit of a surprise in, in the recent uh, election, particularly for town supervisor. So, so, so Barbara, what happened in the election and, and what does it all mean? Thank you, Mark. The election was a surprise. The current town board has five members. The supervisor is George McHugh, who used to be the legal counsel for the Port of Queemans. He's closely allied with Carver Laraway, who owns the Port of Queemans, and he controls the board to the point where everything Carver Laraway wants, Carver Laraway gets. And, and he was uh, defeated by a small margin by uh, Stephen uh, Donnelly, who's a Democrat. Um, what has Donnelly said about why he was running? What were some of the issues he was raising? Donnelly grew up in Queemans, and he spent a lot of time going door to door talking to people, and he said, this is a full-time job, and I'm going to work at it full-time. One of the reasons I think that resonated was that George McHugh has taken on assignments as the legal counsel to Westerlo, to Athens, and to he's a counsel to the sheriff of Albany's office. So he's got a lot of other interests and responsibilities. So how much work is he really putting into what's going on in Queemans? So that was one point that Donnelly made that resonated. I think another thing is that George McHugh began to develop a reputation as a bully. His board members rarely spoke up. He said, let's do this. And they said, yes, sir, that's a good idea. So there's this impression that there was no real discussion about the the important issues that were coming up before the town board of Queemans. And several people told me this was not a vote necessarily for D Donnelly. It was definitely a vote against McHugh and against Carver Laraway. Now, over the years, one of the um, set of issues that uh, Carver companies had, had, had advanced was basically important various materials into the port and uh, at least at some point trying to um, get them to be burnt like tires at the uh, local cement plant, which has also apparently been poured out um, recently. Uh, you know, has any of those issues, you know, surfaced recently uh, in the town? Those issues haven't been surfacing because the current arguments have really been about Carver Company's applications to expand their operation and to industrialize larger areas along the Hudson River, which they say they need to develop in order to accommodate wind power manufacturing here in Queemans. 
Many of us are skeptical of that, and we believe that they want the permits to develop the area for industrial use, but they don't care whether they get the wind power contracts or not, because what they really want is an expanded area to handle their waste management business. It's hard to prove that, but George McHugh has changed all the laws in order to make that possible. Now, one of the things I had noticed a few days ago, which apparently is a little bit out of date, was uh, an article in the local media that um, Carver Company's application to rezone some land um, by the port, Leslie to accommodate the, the wind turbine business, seemed to be changed to go in a different direction. What, what was that all about uh, and how is that progressing? There have been two applications from Carver Companies in the past month. The first one tried to pretend that they could rezone 134 acres of residential land and that it would be a net loss of industrial areas because in exchange, 364 acres, which currently have an industrial classification, would be declassified and be declared a community amenity. In fact, that land is owned by the DEC and is already a wildlife management area, so it's not going to be industrialized anyway. So in effect, it was a sneaky way of trying to get 134 new industrial acres for Carver companies. They decided to drop that plan, and the night before Thanksgiving, they put up a new plan and said, well, we've reconsidered. Now we're going to put our industrial wind power development on land that is partly owned by Wholesome Cement and partly owned by Powell, um, Tonight Powell. And even though Wholesome Cement is industrial and Powell property is residential, we're going to somehow make it all work because the manufacturing will be on the industrial side and only storage will go on the residential side. Their application, or at least what we saw of it on Wednesday night last week was derisory. It was thin, full of holes and had lots of mistakes in it. And uh, were there a lot of people at, 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 the, at that first meeting and how did the general public respond to these changes? Well, when they when they proposed saying, well, you know, the the sneaky swap between the wildlife management area and the and rezoning the, the residential for for um, industrial, a lot of people didn't know that meeting was even taking place. There were three or four of us who turned out and watched it, but the night before Thanksgiving, we had I would say a dozen people who would rather have been cooking Thanksgiving dinner, they all came out and they raised their objections during the meeting and had questions and comments as it went along. People were pretty disgusted by what they were seeing. Now, the, the town supervisor is by far the most powerful position, you know, in, in town government, mm -hmm. but there are four other members of the, uh, you know, town board and, and usually most towns, you know, two of the four are, are for re-election. How is the town board lining up, you know, after, you know, January in terms of, you know, pro-Carver versus willing to listen to the residents? Yeah, that was another huge victory because not only did Steve Donnelly win and defeat George McHugh by only 24 votes, the two candidates he was running with, one of whom is very near the area they want to industrialize, 
um, they also won their seats. So we now have a majority of people on the five member board who are not happy with the way Carver Lairway is behaving in Queemans. And I remember we had a one woman on, I don't know if you were involved with it, but you know, got harassed by the police for looking at some of the vegetation along some land, I guess at Carver at Clearcott. Um, mm -hmm. how, how is the overall you know, political situation in the rest of the town changing? You have a local police department, are they gonna be perhaps a little bit less willing to do Carver's uh, request? I, I don't know. The local, I was one of those people who was arrested for taking photographs of flowers along the side of the road. Um, I don't think the police chief changes, but that doesn't mean that the new supervisor can't replace the chief. He seems like a fairly competent person, but at the same time, he was not entirely straight with us when we went to have a meeting with him about how that arrest took place and the things that were done during that arrest that we thought were out of line. So I have my I have mixed feelings about him, I must admit. Okay. And you know, has the Clean Air Coalition come up with uh, some agenda they hope to advance when the new um, town board and supervisor take office in the last minute? We have a number of things that we would like to propose to the new supervisor. And I think, I mean, we'll be meeting tonight a bit later, so um, we'll work out what we're going to do then. But a key point to raise with the new board is whether there's any possibility of reversing the laws that George McHugh rewrote in order to allow for the creation of a major waste management business here in Queens. He rewrote the solid waste law, the clean air law, the comprehensive plan, and even the zoning laws in order to promote industrial development along the river. And most of that seems to be aimed at improving waste management or expanding waste management, whether that's an improvement or not is up to you. Well, we will be continuing to talk to Barbara Heinsen and other members of the Clean Air Coalition of Greater Ravina Queemans as, as time goes on. And this has been uh, Mark Dunley for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. We appreciate the Clean Air Coalition for taking the time <clears throat> to discuss this important issue. For more information on these issues and more, check out our website, mediasanctuary.org. Regular listeners have been hearing the latest round of The Struggle Continues. We continue with Willie Terry's series, which includes freedom fighter and civil rights icon Musa Dada, uh, Mukasa Dada, a.k.a. Willie Ricks, who coined the slogan Black Power, and part-time correspondents Carlos Dulfar and Angel Martinez, who also joined the discussion. This is part five. Yeah, one thing I want to say, too, is that, you know, that um, in the movement, uh, even recently, there have been a lot of struggles in this country around different issues. And, uh, for instance, the Black Lives Matter, Palestinian struggle, struggles we had around Wall Street. A lot of whites were involved in that. A lot of white students and whites were involved in that. So how do you see the role of whites in this struggle? Fighting against imperialism. Everybody got to fight against imperialism. We had some very heroic people inside of SNCC that was white, but not the really the colors to mind. Mm -hmm. And those people that make up their mind that imperialism is bad, it's wrong, and they're going to fight it, come on, let's fight it. And that's why we support the Irish Republican Army. We support the Chinese and all that. Because if you look at somebody's color, and they might be black than me and you, 
But when you when they look at their behavior, like Mobutu in the in, in uh, the Congo, or like all them neo colonials they got set up in Africa that does nothing but sit up there and act like they the president and scared to fight back. We were scared to help Gaddafi. They let him come drop bombs, steal our diamonds and gold, hold guns on us, where imperialists take our diamonds and gold and oil and starve our people to death. Mm -hmm. These, no, they're no good. So our people, our fight is for uh, the liberation of Africa, and we have all liberation movements, and we fight against imperialism, and anybody want to join and support and fight against imperialism, welcome. But we can have our own African organization. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Just like the Chinese got their own Chinese government. One day we're going to have our own African government with a mighty army. And we're going to talk to our little brother in North Korea. And he's going to teach us how to make us some nuclear bombs. And we'll be able to protect our property. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, what do you see as the future of this struggle in this country? Uh, we are, well, the United States going to get whooped because they're fighting every nation in the world, stealing everything, <laughs> uh, exploring everybody, got slaves in the United States and slaves all over the world. And when the people get tired of being explored and tired of being slaves, they fight against it. And the United States, if they don't uh, 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 wake up, it's going to be one that burned down, uh, blow up, war, going to be right here on this land. And, and the way the United States is playing, Nuclear bombs going to be coming toward this way because they point nuclear bombs at China, at Russia, and other places. And other people are now getting nuclear bombs and saying, if you point yours at me, I'm pointing mine at you. And if you don't stop the United States from doing what they're doing, they could definitely cause nuclear wars around the world. So the United States, if the road they're going, they're digging their own grave. And we're going to help put dirt on it, and we have no choice because we're going to liberate Africa. And that when we liberate Africa, we will now become the richest, powerful people in the world. And that uh, nobody will be able to come and take our resources, but we'll be able to trade off for whatever we need. And that, But the United States is based on slavery, based on rich getting rich and the poor get poor, based on racism, colonialism, neo-colonialism, oppression of people, starving people to death. Uh, and then people are going to rise up and say, hell no. Why should Rockefeller have billions and trillions and he stole every penny of it? Why should all these people come to Africa and get make billions and billions and hundreds of billions of dollars off our natural resources and we don't get none? We ain't had a clean drop of water. We living in Harlem, living in the street, sleeping in the cold, putting us out of these apartments, making us live on the streets like dogs, got us in jails and prison, drugging our children and doing every damn thing else. Why should we stand for it? So if the United States don't stop, it's going to be burned just like Israel going to burn, just like Israel going to lose, just like they lost in Afghanistan, just like they lost in Vietnam, they lost in Korea, they just they losing uh, in Palestine or Palestine and let the world know they don't care how much technology you got, uh, uh, don't care what you got. Uh, technology and 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 uh, all the protection you got and ammunition and stopping the bomb, we can get to your ass and you're gonna get to it and they're gonna <laughs> defeat them. They defeated Israel. United States have been defeated in Israel and now the whole world see they can be whooped. Now Africa gonna rise up and say, come on, let's go. And we're going to whoop them. We're going to run them off our land. We're going to run the Uncle Tom's out like we're doing in Niger right now. 
and we're going to fight them, and we're going to liberate Africa. Right. So I'm saying the United States going to burn. Right. It's going yeah. down. Imperialism is going to die. Kwame Nkrumah, uh, Kwame Ture, uh, Sikh of Ture, say imperialism will find its grave in Africa. When they bring their troops to Africa, we will bury them. We will bury them. We're going to liberate Africa. China going to liberate China. Vietnam going to liberate Vietnam. Cuba, Central South America, how you say Fidel and and all them brothers, they're going to liberate South and Central America and influence the whole world. And the United States is based on what they still rape and take. And they still raping and taking going to come to an end. You know it. Mm -hmm. uh, Carlos uh, was uh, at the Poor People Movement. Were you at the Poor People Movement? I, I wanted to say this. Wait, wait, he was, he was asking a question. I wanted to no, get no, no, the... he didn't finish his question. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry, buddy. Yeah, were you in the poor, were you in the poor people movement? Because poor people's movement. I lived in Russia. I lived in Russia. Uh, and before there was an occupied Wall Street, there were five thousand of us young people living in Resurrection City, with rain, with sunshine, with mud and rain. Before there was an uh, what do you call it, an occupied movement in like fifty-five years ago. In 1968, and we were all four. That's one thing, because my man realized that imperialism was the main thing, and colonialism. And we were also fighting for the indigenous rights here. We were fighting for all types of liberation in this fight that they tried to say that we were uh, so-called religious, but it wasn't nothing to do with religion. It had to do with liberation. And I wanted to get that clear. That's Before right. there was a white, rich, and became conscious or whatever, we were there. Okay. We okay. were black, we were brown, we were red. Not too much yellow, but we were united because we were all brothers and sisters. And I want to get that clear. Right. Before any, before Occupy Wall Street, because we were all fighting for liberation. Right. Yeah, wasn't I, I just want to know, you know, uh, Carlo, I just trying to get his thoughts on the uh, poor people, uh, Resurrection City, and what was the importance of that, and how did he see the poor people movement today that's going on with Reverend Barber? Uh, I have, the only thing I can say is that originally we were fighting for liberation. We were fighting just for people to live, to have food, that they were hungry, to have education. There's no such thing as moral review. We were the moral people who were fighting for liberation. It wasn't something to deal with bringing back slave masters' culture or slave masters' philosophy, that we have to kiss somebody or we have to let them beat us up or lynch us or execute us, but we were the conscious people before uh, Occupy Wall Street. So I have to say that the people there, and I have to and I have to give credit to this brother who came out of Harlem that was originally from Jersey City, Cornbread. His name was Cornbread Gibbons. And also the Reverend Brother Kirkpatrick that was for deacons for self-defense. He knew better. So I just want to get that clear. It wasn't a movement based on leaders. 
but we were all leaders, all 5,000 of us. There were some who couldn't read, but they were learning. Because we also had a freedom school, teaching brothers. I was teaching. So I could say that it wasn't something that it was new or anything as uh, a movement. When we joined together, just like the brother said, and we wake up to the anti-imperialist movement, to colonialism that exists here, to the capitalism that kills us every damn day. That kills us every day. We have to wake up. And it ain't going to be no holy roller. And we ain't going to see no Amma country. It's going to be the people. That's all I have to say. The struggle continues. We'll continue airing on the Hudson Mohawk magazine. So keep listening to hear more. For those of you just tuning in, I'm Vinny Damapolito. And I'm Lavender. You're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network on WOOCLP 105.3 FM Troy, WOOGLP 92.7 FM Troy, WOOSLP 98.9 FM Schenectady, and WOOALP 106.9 FM Albany, and streaming online at mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. If you like what you hear, you can support this program by telling a friend. Find today's stories and more at mediasanctuary.org. On November 18th, Youth Squared held a peanut butter pop-up in Saratoga to gather food donations. Hudson Mohawk Magazine's eight-year-old correspondent, Nikolai nagel Drebby was on the scene. Youth Squared had a peanut butter pop-up in Saratoga on Saturday before Thanksgiving. They sat up in a parking lot and people were invited to drop up jars of peanut butter, jelly, cereal, granola, bars, and soups. My grandmother was one of the helpers collecting the food that got donated. So I came and talked to some of the people. Youth Square is a group for teenagers who want to help the community. First, I spoke to a couple of members about the event, Luna and Myla. So what is the peanut butter pop-up or the pop-up event? Okay, so it's we're collecting food for the Oakwood Food Pantry for people that are in need of food. I think that's pretty food much it. Right? Yeah, yeah, food insecurity. There we go. And it's the second one, so it's a part two. And we did this last year. It was very successful, and the Oakwood uh, Food Pantry really appreciated it. So we thought we'd do it again. Yeah. So this is the second year? Yes, mm-hmm. part two. How much food do you think you get each year? It's a lot, <laughs> it's a lot of food. I mean... In terms of monetary value, probably a few thousand, but it's hard to judge because we get a lot of different types of food, yeah. different brands, and like that. And all these people donate it, or yes, like you have a lot of rice here, I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So U squared, they give a grant to each pop up. So U squared donates some stuff, and then we have some people who donate stuff. So the rice is from BJ's. So it's kind of bulk rest. Yeah. But we have, yeah, everyone donates a little. Do you get people here already donating stuff? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Seems very calm. Is it more people coming later? Or? Eh, they kind or? of trickle in. 
We don't have a ton of cars, but each car brings a good amount of stuff. Yeah. So in like, the end, it all works. This out. car brought this bag, maybe. Or, yeah, or, or maybe cup. like two bags. Yeah. They generally bring two. And they even donate the bags too. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People are very, very, very helpful. Yeah. How many years have you been doing it? I've been to Party U Squared since ninth grade, so we went on my fourth year, I think. Yep, and I've only done six months. Yeah. Right? This is Myla's first pop-up. Yep. This is my fourth. Four, yeah, fourth pop-up. How many pop-ups have there been? Well, <laughs> that is a very good question. I don't know if question. I could tell you that. <laughs> but there has been a lot. Yes. Can yeah. you name some of the we, other kinds of pop-ups? We've done one for medical supplies for a clinic that was opening up at the hospital for the backstretch workers. Um, we did, I did a sanitary hygiene pop-up. We did, a few Novembers ago, we did a cereal pop-up. And we collected cereal. This is yeah. called the peanut butter pop-up. I don't mm. see that much peanut butter. Oh, there's that, a lot. <laughs> it, it might be hidden, yeah. Yeah. There's, they're under all these boxes, mm-hmm. but a lot of people got yep. peanut butter, actually. There's some yeah. in here. I think, I think we call it peanut butter pop-up because it's the peas. <laughs> I don't I don't think, you know. It just works. I think peanut butter is expensive, too. Have you ever donated it to something else than the Oakwood? Or is yes. the Oakwood the mo- most you donated to? We donate to lots of different places. So for each pop-up, um, we donate to a different cause. For example, I, I, I talked about the medical one, but that was donated to the backstretch workers, sanitary hygiene pop-up. Those um, products were donated to like shelters, maybe Troy, like women's shelters. So lots of different places, not just Oakwood. Yeah. Lots of cereal, too. Yes. Cheerios. <laughs> A lot of cereal. Brand. Absolutely. What else do you think is important of the, uh, of the pop-ups? Um, one thing I really like about pop-ups and the youth squared in general is that it teaches youth how to like run a pop-up, how to create a drive, how to get involved in their community. And I yeah. think that's really important. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, helping your community and thinking about things that might not be very obvious as a need in a community are important, but I think youth squared does a lot of really cool and unique things. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. So, what's your name? Hi, my name is Patty O'Brien, and I am on the board of the Oakwood Community Center, and that's down in Troy, in one of the most under-resourced, poorest neighborhoods in the city of Troy. And we have a community center there where people can come in and have meetings and have activities, and we also have a food pantry on Saturday mornings where people can get groceries. For free. For free, yes. They just come in if they need them once a week, and they can get some groceries. And we also then have some fresh produce that we get from the um, food pantries of the Capital District. And we get some meats and cheese, and sometimes we might have milk cards for them. And it can at least hold them over until they're able to get a paycheck and go to the store for themselves. So... Once a year, you also do a, it looks like a pop-up for your... That's right. This time of year, especially, people are looking for some extra food because of the holidays coming. So to get some extra food coming in from a pop-up event like this is really, really important for us. 
And some items are very expensive for us. So things like the peanut butter and jelly and, and mayonnaise is really hard for us to get through other sources. And cereals are really hard to get through other sources. So I see a lot of items here that are going to be very, very helpful for us. How long has the pantry been running? Uh, that's a really good question. I know I had started volunteering there 10 years ago, and they had already been operating for at least five or 10 years before I got there. So um, it really started when Oakwood used to still be a church, um, and the, the, the church community started the pantry. And then... Um, and then they uh, decided not to be a church anymore, and we turned it into a community center. What's your name? My name is Eva Nagel. I live in Saratoga Springs. Just so you know, that is my grandmother. And I used to be on the board of Youth Squared. Now I'm just a volunteer sometimes. But when I heard about um, that Oakwood was really having uh, food shortages, I thought maybe Youth Squared would do a pop-up to get some food for them, which they did once before, and it was a great success. I'm so happy we got so much. How do you bring it all to the food pantry and food cars? We'll see how much she's going to get in. I, whatever she doesn't get in, I, we'll, we'll take the rest. I'll take the rest. How do you run it? The peanut butter pop Well, the hard thing is getting the word out so people know we're here. And uh, we put posters up and we put out messages to all the people that are on Youth Squared's lists and hope that some people will remember and come on Saturday morning and bring us food. Oh, here's here's our picture taker. Hi. Hi. We started packing up. We forgot you were coming. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Let me get some. Yeah, water. wait. You just wait. Don't do any more. Have you ever went to Oakwood? I've been there, yeah. Yeah, I haven't been there on Saturday morning when the food pantry is. I'm just imagining that all this food is going to go on shelves. I, I don't know. How they have to organize it. They're very organized there, and they will organize it. And, and then Saturday morning, they put it in bags for people to take. And do you know how big this space is? How big? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big old church. It's got some nice room. Are there more events kitchen. there? They a, yeah, they have different events. They have kids programs and they have adults. Um, uh, they have a soul cafe with music and food. That, and, uh, we, all right, we, we're going to get into. Uh, we and keep that out. a pause. Yeah. Look, look there for Anything special about the peanut butter pop-up? It's it's really special because it's all food that most of us just take for granted that we have in our pantry and on our shelves, and we're giving it to people who, who it may not be so easy for them to have it. So think how happy they're going to be when they open up this nice jar of strawberry jam or macaroni and cheese. Or peanut butter. Or peanut butter. Yeah, we got lots of different things to choose from. All this rice. Look at all the tuna fish there. All right, Patty. All right. Thank you. Reporting for Hudson Mullock Magazine, this is Nikolai Nagel-Trebby. 
It's always great to hear from our younger correspondents. Keep listening for more stories from our intrepid young reporters. Now we will be joined by a local DJ, MC, and more, JB, a.k.a. Dirty Moses, who I first met actually at a sanctuary event this year. Uh, JB, can you hear us? I can. Yes, I can. All right. Excellent. Awesome. Thanks for being here. Yes, I appreciate being here. This is great. So, JB, you go by JB, a.k.a. Dirty Moses. Can you give us a little bit about the story behind your names? (laughs) Well, I have two different names that I go by. One, when I'm DJing, it's my, my, my regular government name, John Brown, so DJ John Brown. And when I'm rapping, singing, or I'm playing with my band, it's JB with two exclamation points behind it, and then AKA Dirty Moses. Um, all of that came about because the name John Brown sounds like an alias, first and foremost. Um, and there's a lot of John Browns that exist. I have trouble finding my own records sometime. So, you know, I added the two exclamation points, but that didn't help. And then um, I did a freestyle when I was rapping like years ago. And in it, I said the term Dirty Moses. And my friend Sev at the time was like, that sounds good. You should use that. And I'm like, "Eh, I may as well. Let's see how it works. And it worked. And I've been using it ever since. At least for the last 20, almost 20 years. Gotcha. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, John, that John Brown, (laughs) that you say John Brown sounds like an alias, but it's not. so, yeah, right. we've got a list of questions for you, Vinny. Feel free to chime in whenever. Uh, do you want to take okay. the next question? Um, sure. So uh, what kind of events are, have you been doing lately? Lately? Um, well, I did a Hip Hop 50 event at um, Troy Savings Bank Music Hall in Troy. Um, that was October 27th. And I did that with my band, Victory Soul Orchestra. Um, I'm constantly um, DJing in various venues across the Northeast and Capital Region. Last This past weekend, I was up at um, Downtown Social at Glens Falls. So I'm always doing something. Tomorrow, I'm performing at Empire Live. Um, a couple of people are opening for us, and it's me, uh, this national act slain. And a couple other guys, Mike Lanny from Albany, Animal Cracker from Albany. Those are the only ones I could think of offhand. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. Cool. So I I met you at the sanctuary and I know you as a DJ, uh, but it sounds like you do a lot more. So has DJing always been your primary work um, or what would you consider is your main thing? And how did you get started with all this? Um. Hmm. Let me answer the first part. My primary work is in healthcare. I've been in healthcare for a long time. So that's what I was doing simultaneously as I rapped and sung, uh, trying to build up a rap career, singing career. And DJing, I never really took it seriously. Like I had started it. And when I was DJing, when I first started, it was no 
controllers. They were all turntables. So you had to bring crates and crates and crates of records to these, um, to these events, to these venues. So imagine carrying two heavy turntables, a heavy mixer, and about four crates of records to spin music for about three hours and only get paid $150. So it, the, the money wasn't adding up. It became too expensive. So I stopped. And as I was discontinuing my DJ career, I was still making mixtapes and I started rapping. I rapped on a couple of mixtapes and my friends liked it. And you know how you think you, everyone is a yes man. <laughs> and they're just saying that because they're your friend. No, it wasn't them just saying it because they were my friends. It was a real thing. They liked it. Other people liked it. Eventually, I got signed to a label a couple of times, two different times. And um, yeah, the rest is history. I've just been making music and being a creative and working in healthcare <laughs> the last 20 plus years. Aww. So do you find that you have different influences for those different aspects of your career? Or do you have someone who maybe like uh, touches both, you know, the creative as well as the DJ and on top? Because I know those can be different, very different vibes at times. Yeah, at times. But, you know, um, with all three of those, and I'm, and I'm speaking about healthcare, me being a nurse, healthcare, um, me DJing, and me being an entertainer, outside of DJing, um, there's, there's a level of reading the room that you have to be aware of. So you got to read the room when you're being a DJ, you got to read the room when you're, when you're a performer and, you know, you got to be a people person when you're in healthcare. So all of those things run hand in hand, neck and neck. And I feel like they've all helped me become a better performer or a better nurse or a better DJ. That actually ties into one of my questions, which is what what are important things to consider when DJing an event? Um, you know, crowd size, demographics, um, venue. Those things are very important, especially especially the venue and the demographics of the venue, because you don't want to be in a venue and it's a bunch of uh, country people there and you're playing trap music not that i play trap music but i'm just giving an example i mean i I have played some trap music in my life of course but um yeah you don't you don't want to you don't want to give the the wrong music to the wrong to the wrong audience you know yeah (laughs) absolutely you have to be aware of what you're doing you know yeah. Uh, would you have any advice for someone who wants to be dj to kind of help them learn to you know read the room like that Mm. I would say find someone that you can uh, precept under, you know, kind of like just just hang around them and and learn the ropes and see what they do. And it doesn't have to be a high level DJ. It doesn't have to be someone that's been in it, you know, 20, 30 years. It just could be someone that's been in it five years and they have the hang of it, you know, but that's, probably the best way you know and and me as as an entertainer i like throwing people to the wolves real quick so if you're if you're with me and you know we're out somewhere and you you are telling me you think you got it oh i'm gonna try you out i want to see i want to see what you got let me see jump on jump right on because i'll take a step back and you know i'm not gonna let you make a fool of yourself but 
also, I want you to learn, you know, and sometimes the only way to learn certain things is to just jump right in. All right. We have we have time for a couple more questions. Sorry. Go ahead, Vinny. Okay. Uh, I was just going to say, like, absolutely. And like you said, uh, a lot of trades, you know, you learn from watching someone else because it's always a little less painful to, from learning from other people's mistakes. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, and uh, speaking on that also, you mentioned in sort of kind of, you could call it the olden days, you just had these turntables and a bunch of records. So what sort of tools do you use now? I have a Pioneer DDJ-SR um, controller, and I have a Rain 1 controller. So I use those two controllers, depending on which venue I'm going to. And I have a Mac Book Air, and I have a Dell XPS 15. So both of those laptops I use, and both of those controllers I use when I'm DJing. No longer do I have to carry four crates of records. I can put ten or 20,000 songs on my laptop or stream from something online and make life much easier. Awesome. Well, we are kind of close. So um, where can people f learn more about you? I was lucky enough to meet you in person at the sanctuary and get your info directly and was able know, to connect with you. Great. Also, I, we got to collab because I also... I'm an artist, but I we can know talk. I saw um, that. I was looking at that. <laughs> we got to get together and, and make some make some magic happen. But um, if you want to get in touch with me, Instagram is probably the easiest. JB, a.k.a. Dirty Moses or DJ John Brown. Either one. And if you want to if you want to email me, you know, you can. it's JSTBCZ music at Gmail dot com. I have a website jb aka dirty moses.com or dj john brown.com either one of those I'll, I'll answer you immediately all right thank you so much you're welcome thank you for having me i appreciate it and i'm looking forward to djing your wedding it's gonna be an yes. amazing time i'm looking forward to it too yes all right uh, again that was jb aka dirty moses local DJ, MC, and performer. And again, you can find him by searching JSTBCZ Music. And lastly, you want to go, Vinny? Oh, uh, composer and environmental sound artist Lisa Schonberg uh, welcomed three listeners into the Sanctuary Studio for an experimental first reaction listening session to Schonberg's own work, Lookout Creek, Eighth Notes. Hi, this is Lisa Schomburg, and you're listening to Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Welcome to a new series called First Reaction, where we have guests in our studio listen to a song for the first time and react in real time while they listen. Welcome to our listeners. Can you each introduce yourselves? So my name 
is Gusto Sotaguate Paulette Moore. I'm a Mohawk person enrolled at Six Nations of the Grand River. Uh, my name is Larissa Boraglum. I'm a public policy student at UAlbany and I'm interning here at the sanctuary. Uh, my name is Victor Max Valentine and I'm a, an intern here at Sanctuary Media. Lucky to be. Thank you all for being here today. And here's our track. So I'm feeling my heart, which feels like a spring. It feels like the water is there, but it's being pumped, like yeah. my heart. Yeah. I can really feel my heart as it's going, and I like how it's uh, already kind of sorry, changing dynamism. It's changing. Yeah, yeah. It seems like it's changing up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so it feels very much like a dynamic spring with your heart pumping it. Consistency to it. It reminds me of a, a train going down a track, which is, when you think about it, kind of not that different from a river. You know, it's always continuing the same way. I love the dynamic movement of the water from one side to the other, and I feel like it's coming over my head and then swishing around to the side of me. So I feel really immersed in the water, the experiences from inside of it, and then it's kind of coming, like rushing at different speeds across my skin. it's um, shifting seamlessly from one theme to another and I guess that kind of speaks to how a river is constantly changing you know the old saying that you never can step in the same river twice it's always changing form in some way Yeah, uh, playing off of that, I definitely hear the beat of the cosmos, if you want to say, which there is a rhythm and a math to everything. And it, it feels like it resets one's senses and nervous system, resets you to its original intended, at least for a moment. It's lovely.
particular sound that I've been hearing kind of takes me back to um, going on vacation with my parents to the Adirondacks and kayaking and getting into a rhythm and the sound of, um, you know, the sound of the rhythm of the paddles in the water. It's, um, it's, it's kind of giving me that vibe. really making me feel so present and it's getting to a place where it's not so much imagery um, but more interior more interior and really regulating you know it's changing the way my body is reacting um, so it's making me feel really present it's it's challenging me to be right here right now. gives me a sense of community with the planet, with nature, which uh, a lot of the romantic poets in different ways did uh, and spoke about. There's a belonging to like a family or a tribe, which we were originally meant for, I believe, when we came down here. Yeah. And I keep going back to the, to the spring. I just feel like the life-giving part of that and uh, I think we li need to listen to springs more. It's just such a source, such a sort of life and spirit. That song was called Lookout Creek Athens. I composed this song and I wrote it while I was an artist in residence at H.J. Andrews Experimental Station in Oregon. The song is modeled after visual art by Leah Wilson. And um, Leah had examined and represented the reflections of light and color around a small stone placed in Lookout Creek. And I became excited about this idea of considering this one physical space, but sonically. And so I thought about the immense musicality of stream acoustics and how we could grow more familiar with this particular creek's acoustics through isolation and repetition. So I revisited where Leah took her samples and placed a hydrophone, which is a microphone that can record in water, on the stream bottom and took a 10 second recording every two minutes. 
I extracted eighth note values at set points across samples and built a loop of each eighth note set. And so the composition moves through 10 different samples and there's added percussion that I composed based on these loops. This program is part of a project called Old Growth Playback, and it's made possible in part by the New York State Council on the Arts with the support of the Office of the Governor and the New York State Legislature through the Media Arts Assistance Fund, a regrant partnership of NISCA and Wave Farm. This program is also supported by H.A. Andrews Experimental Forest in Blue River, Oregon, the Spring Creek Project at Oregon State University, and presented in partnership with the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. As part of this project, Lisa is also presenting a free field recording workshop from 1 to 4 p.m. this Sunday, December 3rd, and a live presentation of the music on Sunday, December 16th, both at the Sanctuary. Sign up at our website, uh, mediasanctuary.org. And that's it for our show. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm Vinny Damapolito. And I'm Lavender. Our engineer is, of course, Sina Bazilahickey, and we want to thank all of our volunteers who made this episode possible. Contributors to today's episode are Mark Dunley, Willie Terry, Nikolai Nagel-Drebby, Lisa Skonberg, and your co-hosts. We appreciate you listening. Until next time. <laughs>